Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here, and you're all very welcome to my show, Me the Science podcast. Now, this is another request. Uh, about three weeks ago now, I had a very nice email off this uh, this man. He said, please, can I do rheumatoid arthritis? So now I jumped at this one because I can do it in my sleep, really, you know, literally. Uh, and the reason is I've worked on rheumatoid arthritis, oh, since 1985, I guess it must be now. So I've followed all the research into this disease for a long time. I was that now, 37 years, I guess. And and there's been remarkable progress, and I want to give you that story now. And I'm very happy that this person has asked me to cover it, because it's a really good example of the great benefits science can bring. Now, science, as we know, have brought tremendous benefits to, from COVID, with all the vaccines and therapies and all the rest of it. So we've other examples. But in my opinion, rheumatoid is one of the best examples we have of really making progress. Now, why do I say that? Well, in 1985, when I began my research project into rheumatoid arthritis, uh, if you were diagnosed with rheumatoid, there was a really good chance you would end up in a wheelchair 15, 20 years later. This disease would eat away at your joints. It is, of course, an inflammatory disease of the joints, and it was relentless. The joints eroded and eroded and eroded. Hands got deformed. It was quite often in a medical student's exam, they'd be shown a rheumatoid hand and asked to diagnose it. You never see that now in rheumatology, hardly ever anyway. There's a tiny number, of course, don't respond to therapies as usual, sadly. But but the vast majority of people will respond to these therapies uh, that were discovered in this period. And it slows the whole disease process down. Is it doesn't cure it, but it slows it down. Big advance. These drugs are called anti-TNF, and I'll come back to them, because they were the big breakthrough that happened. So, rheumatoid, great story. And, of course, the discoveries that gave rise to the new therapies, uh, and more therapies to come, by the way, I'm going to cover some of the more recent developments, were from immunologists. Yay, my own area. Uh, because it was immunologists that kind of cracked it. It was realised there was an immune, an autoimmune disease, where the immune system goes into your joints for still unknown reasons and beats them up and degrades them and causes them to be destroyed. So once that was known, the immunologists could dig into it and look at different immune component parts, if you will, and lo and behold, TNF was shown to be a key part, which I'll come back to. But back to 85, my project, I was in London doing my PhD. I used to cycle on my bike once a month over to St. Thomas's Hospital. I was working in a place called Lincoln's Inn Fields to bring back samples from someone who was having a hip or a knee replacement with rheumatoid arthritis. I'd take some tissue samples from the surgeon, bring it back to the lab, and I would grow that human rheumatoid arthritis tissue in the lab, incredibly. And I would study it in various ways. And, you know, what's gone wrong in it? Can we discover what's, you know, what can, the key sort of component parts, as I say, that have got defective in that tissue? And that was the beginning of my journey into research. And I did find a couple of things in the rheumatoid tissue that was unusual uh, to do with the inflammatory process. I then moved to Cambridge, continued working on rheumatoid, to a very famous uh, institute in Cambridge, which specialised in rheumatological diseases. They were called connective tissue diseases. In fact, in that institute, some of the key component parts of joints like collagen and enzymes that break down collagen were discovered. Some of the key immune regulators that go wrong in rheumatoid were discovered in that institute. So I went to a very famous place for arthritis. In fact, it was, it was founded in 1912, this place. 
It's called Strange Race. Peculiarly was the name it had. Uh, as an arthritis institute, it was the first ever arthritis research institute in the world. Founded by a guy called Dr. Strangeways, and it became known as the Strangeways Research Institute. So, in other words, I've had a long time working on this disease and different aspects of it. Now, let's define it. It's an inflammatory disease of the joints, the immune system, for unknown reasons, as is the case with many autoimmune diseases, goes into the tissue, in this case, the joint tissue, and beats it up and destroys it. It's terrible. And if you look at a rheumatoid joint down the microscope, it looks like as if there's a big infection happening in there. You see T-cells, B-cells, you see macrophages, all these immune cells are in there tubing up the joint. There's no obvious infection, so what's going on? We don't know. The immune system is reacting to our own tissues as if it's foreign and then trying to eliminate it using the weapons it would use on a virus or on a bacteria. The immune system has very powerful weapons to kill these infectious agents. Those weapons are now falling on your own tissues like friendly fire we use for this for some reason it's not a bad analogy really and it's not just the joints people think it's just the disease of joints it also can affect the heart it can affect the skin that's psoriatic arthritis for example so you can see more tissues being involved outside the joints as well but what defines it of course is the joint tissue becoming very inflamed now it's different to osteoarthritis because that also involves joints but there's less immune involvement there osteo is more seen as a mechanical thing where the ends of the bones wear away and that causes all the symptoms. So it's a bit different. And we need more progress in osteo, actually. There's less advances in that disease. Um, and, and, and that's a bit of a disappointment because osteo is very, very common. The current osteoarthritis treatment is mainly joint replacement. So we need to do better there. Uh, I guess the reason, one, reason we haven't is the immune system isn't quite so involved. So it's harder than to come up with new therapies and new drugs, I guess. But certainly rheumatoid, autoimmune, immune system goes in, begins to attack your own joints, and that's the basis for this disease. Now, what causes it? Well, as ever, we begin with genetics. It does run in families. They reckon there's around about a 50% genetic component, 50% environmental. Now, what that means is identical twins, same genes, one might get rheumatoid and one won't. You need to have the environment and the genetics to cause this disease. What's the environmental component? We don't know. It could be a virus that triggers it. Uh, one culprit is uh, pollutants in the, in the atmosphere. And I'll come back to that, for example. But you need to have the wrong genes and the wrong exposure, and that might bring on rheumatoid. So one twin might get it because, sadly, that twin got infected with some virus or other, whatever the virus might be. The other one didn't. So it's a bit of a mystery. Uh, what are the genes? Well, there's loads of them. There's over 60 now. Genetic variants have been found to increase the risk of rheumatoid. Uh, one is called DRW4, another one's called PTNP22. Uh, there's loads of them basically, and, and they all might contribute a tiny bit to this disease. What's important is they're all in the immune system, and again, that gave us a big clue that this was autoimmune, because if immune genes are different, and if they mutate, maybe they're more active, and they go off on a hair trigger, you see. And so therefore the disease then emerges. So imagine you've got a var- I might have one variant of, of, of the DR molecule, you have another. The DRW4 for some reason is getting overactivated by something and therefore that propagates the disease. I've got a different DR, so therefore I don't get rheumatoid, and sadly you do. So it's the environmental genetic components that really that we're looking at here in terms of driving these diseases. Now, what else might cause it apart from genetics? Well, what is the environmental component? It's not the weather. People often thought, oh, the damp climate, that might make it feel a bit more sore. Because, of course, the key feature is pain in the joints. You know, swelling and redness and all those inflammatory markers are there, like any inflammatory disease. The weather doesn't seem to be involved, uh, nor does stress. They looked at that. 
uh, and nor those diet especially. Often people wondered if, if it was a dietary thing. These, these are still being examined, mind you, but there's no definitive answer as to whether they would increase the risk of it. Now, a bit deeper, get ready. So the immune system front and centre. Big discoveries were made. Your immune system is definitely off kilter and begins to make certain antibodies. And these antibodies are being made uh, and you can find them in the rheumatoid joint. You can find them in the blood of rheumatoid patients. A very important set of antibodies are called ACPAS. A-C-P-A-S. It's a terrible name, but that's what they are. And they are recognising a strange thing called citrulline in the body. And citrulline is made in the joint. We don't know why. And we raise antibodies to citrulline. Isn't that incredible? So in other words, you're making something new and that newness is seen as foreign by the immune system and now the immune system attacks the citrulline and there's enzymes that are making the citrulline called pads. Now, this is a big breakthrough in reading. There was a Swedish scientist called Lars Larskarg who was very important for this. So, in rheumatoid patients, you will see these ACPAs in a lot of patients with rheumatoid. They are recognising this strange molecule that's appearing in your own body. It's made from arginine, a natural amino acid and the enzyme pad makes it and we don't know why that's the big mystery we do know smokers who've got rheumatoid arthritis are always AGPA positive so there could be something in smoke cigarette smoke that's driving the AGPAs to, to recognize or driving the citrulline and then the AGPAs get made to recognize the citrulline so we call these neoantigens by the way so that's one clue as to what might be happening in rheumatoid your immune system is recognizing something new appearing in your body caused by maybe some pollutant. There's also some evidence of a bacteria driving this as well. So again, you think about an infection as a trigger there in many ways. And that's, the, that's as good as it gets now in terms of uh, the autoimmune part. Now, the inflammatory part, because it is an inflammatory disease, that we saw a lot of progress there. I worked on things called prostaglandins in my PhD. And then these things called cytokines came along, which I've mentioned a few times. And these cytokines are key controllers of the immune system and one of them stuck out literally like a sore thumb it's called TNF and TNF was shown in the 80s to be very high in the rheumatoid joint if you inject TNF into joints it causes joint destruction and then eventually a drug was made to block TNF and guess what it prevented arthritis in mice completely and in humans and a scientist called Mark Fellman in London was the first to block TNF in rheumatoid arthritis patients. He first gave it to 10 patients and there was a remarkable response. Within a day, all their symptoms had gone. Isn't that incredible? So TNF seems to be the key switch that gets flipped that drives all this inflammation and blocking TNF then was shown to have a huge therapeutic effect. Now at the moment then, the best-selling drugs are anti-TNFs arthritis is so common um, it'll slow down the disease it'll stop the joint destruction all that good stuff by blocking TNF and around about 60% of patients respond well which is great there's a lot of people responding uh, some stop responding and have to switch their meds but one thing for sure it slows everything right down and that's very useful slowly slowing down joint destruction so again it's not curing it but it's going to have a major impact on the disease by slowing things down so the anti-TNFs are seen as a mainstay now the other part that was interesting was a drug called methotrexate I was asked about that as well uh, that is a drug that's anti-inflammatory and it works in rheumatoid again by blocking the inflammatory process and it seems to change metabolism very close to my heart and m- metabolic sort of 
So the changes are happening in the rheumatoid joint. It burns glucose in a funny way, for example. And methotrexate can correct that, we think. And that's why methotrexate's useful in rheumatoid. Very often they'll give methotrexate as a frontline drug. The trouble is they can have side effects in the liver. So, uh, it's, you know, it's used a lot, but people watch that. But still, it's useful, you know. And it seems to be correcting this metabolic imbalance, unknown cause, in rheumatoid. And again, it's a useful add-on. And then we've got two more uh, drugs, Rituxan. That takes out what are called B cells. The B cells make the antibodies. So now we're lowering all these AGPAs and various other antibodies by using Rituxan to take out the B cells. So block the B cells, less nasty antibodies, less disease, because the antibodies are irritating in various ways as if there's an infection. And then another drug called Abitacept, I was asked about that, that takes out T cells, the other key arm of the immune system. So effectively what's happening is the Rituximab and the Abitacept are taking out key component parts of the immune system. And because the immune system is driving this disease, we get symptomatic relief. We see a nice treatment for that. Um, la- the latest stuff that's happening, um, that sort of new drugs in development, and I'll finish on, on the novel, I can go on all day about this now, remember. There are inhibitors of the citrulline part, and they might show great promise, because if citrulline is appearing, remember I said this about this pad thing, block citrulline, you'll block all the autoantibodies being made and that will stop all the irritation from the immune side. So PAD inhibitors. The company's called Padlock, by the way. There's a great name. They're going after PAD and they're going to lock up PAD. I guess that's the idea. So there's one frontier. And then the other frontier is my own lab is involved in this. It is trying to target this metabolic change in a more specific way. You know, just get a better methotrexate that mightn't be as toxic and maybe even more potent. It might be going after the real part of metabolism. And my lab has evidence that you can target metabolic events in the joint and in the body and the immune system. And that will have an anti-inflammatory effect. So again, we might see new therapies emerging that way. And remember, all those therapies that have been discovered, they are effective, they are bringing benefits, but we can do better. Wouldn't it be tremendous if we stopped whatever causes this disease? And again, we're hunting for viruses, hunting for bacteria, you know, that might cause it. A vaccine might work then. But secondly, if you can block this inflammatory cascade very early in the pathway, and maybe the metabolic change is early, or the citrulline is early enough, that will really work because, you, you know, you're, you're, you're getting to the very source of the disease then. As the disease progresses, it's much harder to go back up the hill. You know, because the disease is underway. You know, the earlier you start, you know, the better it's going to be. Like a ball running. If you stop the ball at the top, it's a bit easier than picking up speed, I guess. There's a good analogy. Just thought of that now. So the earlier you treat, the better, basically. And we're trying to find these early events. And it could be metabolism. Various other things are being studied as well. And therefore really have a therapeutic effect. And this will do two things. It'll give people an option if they can't respond to the current therapies, you see. Or secondly, it might be even better. Wouldn't that be tremendous? And then we can put rheumatoid arthritis behind us. And these treatments are great, but we can do better. And lots of work is going on now to try and find even better treatments for rheumatoid and also osteoarthritis. So as ever, we're hopeful that all this research will yield new benefits. So there's rheumatoid for you in a rapid fire round. I normally give two whole lectures on that topic to our students, by the way. So you've had the, the abbreviated version. I hope you could follow it. And I hope you got some useful information from it. And thanks very much for listening. And of course, my podcast is available every Thursday for downloading. And it's a News Talk production. And thank you very much.